Thank you, Lord, for that glorious picture um, of the throne in heaven that we've just been singing about. Thank you for what we saw in Revelation 4 last week of that throne. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you are seated on that throne and you are sovereign. Thank you that we gather round that throne in Jesus' name and because of his sacrifice on the cross for us, knowing that we can come to that throne accepted and loved and stand there and worship with a heavenly host. Help us to be very conscious of that, Lord, that we worship with all of heaven this morning, even as we draw nearer to you as we hear what you've got to say to us through your words. Speak to us, Lord, please, we ask. And we ask it for your glory and for the sake of Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, uh, there are times in life, aren't there? And maybe lots of us are in this place right now where we just want to know what life has got in store. We want to know what lies ahead. There are times in life where we just feel like saying to God, Lord, can you please just show me at least something of the blueprint for the future, whether it's for my life or my health or for the political future of whatever country it might be. We, we just want to see what's further down the road, what's around the corner. We want to know if there's a plan. And it's the same, I'm sure. It was the same for John and for the seven churches that we've, we've seen recently as Jesus writes his letters to those seven churches. He had certain things to say to them, but I'm sure all of them to some degree wanted to know what lay ahead. He's been urging the seven churches that we've seen, haven't we, to, to overcome, to stay faithful, to keep trusting him. And as we saw last time, chapter four of Revelation has shown those seven churches and us that there is a throne and there is a holy, sovereign God seated on that throne. But the question that must have arisen in their hearts and minds and sometimes arises in our hearts too is, yes, all right, God is on the throne and yes, he's powerful, but does he actually have a plan? Does he have a plan or is history just random forces acting on events that God reacts to in his power? What's this God on the throne going to do? Well, if chapter four of Revelation kind of set the scene, then chapter five provides the action, if you like, that will begin to show the seven churches and us the answer to that question, is there a plan? And quite simply, there are two parts to the answer that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, yes, there is a plan. And we see that in the first five verses of chapter five. And then we're going to see that, there, yes, there's a plan, but also, crucially, there is a lamb. And that, that word lamb is a word that appears again and again in Revelation nearly 30 times to speak of Jesus himself. So there you go. That's the spoiler. But they're the answers, basically, um, to what we're looking at this morning. First of all, yes, there's a plan. And secondly, there is a lamb. But let's look a bit closer. First of all, there is a plan. At this point in the vision he's receiving from Jesus... John notices that the one in chapter four seated on the throne, God, is holding something. And that something is a scroll or another possible translation is it's a book. Commentators spend a lot of time discussing whether this is a scroll or a book. I don't think it matters awful, an awful lot. I'm going to go with scroll this morning. And there's, there's writing on both sides of this scroll. And that scroll in the hand of God on the throne is sealed with seven seals. Now, what would John and those hearing Revelation for the first time have understood 
by that scroll in the hand of God on the throne. How would they have understood it? Well, maybe there'll be more time for this in the podcast this week, but very briefly, against the Old Testament background that so many of John's hearers would have been aware of, they would have thought of scrolls and books that appear in the Old Testament. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 2, read up on that later on, and in Daniel, two chapters in Daniel in particular, Daniel 7 and Daniel 12, and also in the prophecy of Isaiah, in Isaiah 29 in particular, what we see in those places in the Old Testament are scrolls or books that appear in the Bible storyline when God is planning and doing something mighty, when he's doing great things, particularly in relation to judging the wicked who rebel against him, but also in relation to saving a people who trust in God. When God is doing mighty things of judgment and salvation in the history of this world, in the Old Testament, we see books or scrolls appearing. So I think John's readers, John's hearers, would have thought of that Old Testament background immediately, those who were aware of the Old Testament. But also, during the days that John was writing in the Roman world, when you saw a document, a scroll, that was uh, had writing on the outside and was sealed with seven seals, you knew that was a particularly important legal document. Wills, for example, and very important contracts had seven seals and also sometimes were summarized on the outside, even though the detail was on the inside. So do you get the picture? As, as John's hearers heard that the one on the throne was holding a scroll, as they put together the Old Testament background with the, the contemporary situation in their day, they would have understood this scroll to stand for something of massive importance related to the plan of God. This scroll is something that contains things known only to God and a scroll that needs to be opened in order for the contents to be executed, like a legal document or a will. The writing on both sides also shows us that what's in there, what's in that scroll, is comprehensive, it's detailed. There is no room for or no need to add any amendments because everything that needs to be in that plan is there in the plan. So do you see the picture? In light of Jesus' promise at the start of chapter four of Revelation to show the seven churches what must take place after this, John and his readers would get what this scroll is about. This scroll represents God's plan for the future of this fallen world and his plan for the coming kingdom. This scroll, in other words, is God's great blueprint covering his judgment of a church-hating, Jesus-hating world and a, a, world, a church-hating devil, but also covering his rescue plan for saving people out of that sinful, evil world. This is God's plan. And it's in God's hand ready to be opened, ready for the contents of the plan to be carried out. Christian, the first thing this scroll shows us is that there is a plan for history. However chaotic events might appear, there is a plan. History is going in a particular direction. History is linear. It's not some random cycle. It's not random events 
leading to consequences in our world. No, there, there is a plan that God has and that God is working out. God has a plan for the history of the world and for the sake of his kingdom and his people, for the sake of his church. The reason that there is no space left in the scroll, the, the reason it's covered outside and in with writing, is that there is no space left for amendments or things that will surprise God. There is nothing missing. Everything that happens is in the plan of the great and holy Alpha and Omega. There is a plan. And everything's in there. The, the good that God commands and delights in, that is in the plan. Even the evil that God hates, the evil acts of people like us, the evil that he will judge, even that is in his plan. The acts of intelligent agents who exercise free will, it's there in the plan. Human-made catastrophes in the plan. Natural disasters that result from us living in a fallen world. It's all there in the plan. The reign of the emperor Domitian in John's time, there in the plan. The persecution of the church, the spread of the gospel, the whole, the whole panorama of history, the early church, the Middle Ages, the Reformation, revivals, the backslidings of the church at various times in church history, war and peace, victory and defeat, everything you can think of, the Black Death, the discovery of penicillin, Yes, the year 2020, COVID-19, the full and final results of the presidential election in the US in 2020, the day of your birth and all the days of your life, there in the plan, there in the scroll. However chaotic things might seem so often from our perspective, the God on the throne has a definite plan. It's a plan that is spoken of in so many places in scripture, but let me just read one short passage to you from Isaiah 46, where God says this about himself. Verse nine, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Christian, this is our God. He has a plan. He has a counsel. He has a purpose, and that purpose will stand. And John, as he sees this scroll in the hand of God on the throne and understands what it is, is desperate, just like you and me probably, to see what's in it and to see it worked out, to see how it will affect his brothers and sisters in the seven churches. To put it in our terms, as we read Revelation in the 21st century, John can't wait to see what's going to come in chapters 6 through to 22 of Revelation. He's desperate to see the contents. And so the tension mounts as we see this scroll in the hand of God on the throne. And as a mighty angel asks with a voice that reaches the whole universe, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And what's the, what's the response to the angel's question? Silence. Absolute silence. It's no wonder, really, is it? If you think about it, what's that angel just asked? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Does that word worthy ring any bells? Turn back to chapter 4 
and verse 11, and we read this in the worship of heaven. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. In chapter four, we see the worship of heaven acknowledges that God is worthy. So when this angel asks who is worthy to open the scroll, if you've read chapter four, the nagging doubt in your mind is, well, surely no one is worthy to open the scroll except the one sat on the throne. And yet the angel asks this question and, and the whole cosmos and the whole of heaven holds his breath. And, and the silence that follows is broken only by John and his devastated wailing. When it says there that John wept, more literally, he, he wailed out loud because he is so devastated that the plan of God in the hand of God on the throne appears to stay. It appears it's going to stay sealed and not be opened. John must have been wondering, God, are you not going to work out? Your plan, your rescue plan for your people, your plan to judge the evil of your enemies. Are you not going to work that plan out? And so he weeps and he wails. But then he hears an elder's voice. I almost like to imagine he feels the elder's hand on his shoulder. And the elder says to him, do not weep. See, this is verse five, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and unseal its seven seals. And into John's mind at this point must have flooded again an Old Testament themed picture. Because these titles of Jesus, as Jesus being spoken of here, pick up on prophecies about him in Genesis chapter 49, again you can read it later, and Isaiah chapter 11. In Genesis 49, the tribe of Judah is referred to as a lion, uh, a victorious lion, and there in chapter 49 of Genesis, verses 9 to 10, there is one who is descended from Judah who is prophesied, who will come, and that is Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah 11, he is pictured as the, the shoot and the root of David. It's a wonderful picture that shows that the Messiah will descend from David, but also in some mysterious way, he will be the root of David, David's source there before David exists. You see what these titles are saying about Jesus? Jesus comes from David's line, but he is also his source. This is the mighty, eternal, divine descendant of David who will deliver God's people and bring God's eternal kingdom. Incidentally, you also see lots of parallels between this passage in Revelation 5 and the vision of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, where one who is like a son of man, but is also divine and who receives authority and worship comes into God's presence. Remarkable parallels between Daniel 7 and this chapter, all of which show us that this one who is worthy to open the seven seals, Jesus, is worthy because he is both human and divine. This is the divine warrior lion that the elder is speaking of to John, who is worthy to open the seven seals of the plan of the eternal God. I mean, if nothing else, these titles of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah show us 
that Jesus is not safe. You cannot domesticate Jesus Christ. Many people have tried. Too often I try, we try in our little minds and in our little lives to domesticate him. And you cannot because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is certainly not safe. And so John, having been told that this Jesus is worthy to open the scroll, turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah and he sees a lamb. And this brings us to the second point. There is a plan. And secondly, there is a lamb. This is almost comical. In the vision here in chapter five, John is told, don't weep, John. It's okay. The lion of the tribe of Judah can open the scroll. And he turns and he sees a little lamb. And not just a lamb, a lamb that looks like it's been sacrificed. It's had its neck slipped between the collarbones. He, he's, he's, John's turning to look for this, this mighty agent of judgment. And he sees a meek lamb and one that's been sacrificed, no less. I, this is wonderful because this is the contrast that perfectly describes Jesus. This is the contrast that stands at the center of God's plan for history. And this is the contrast that gives sinners like you and me hope that the lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb of God. This mighty divine lion like warrior conquers how? Not by sheer might alone, but through his death on the cross. That's what the picture of lamb speaks of, doesn't it? As you, as you go through the Old Testament, the lamb stands for the Passover lamb, the sacrifice at Passover that rescued the people. It stands for the sacrifices throughout the Old Testament that paid for sin. It speaks of Isaiah's lamb to the slaughter in Isaiah chapter 53. The lamb speaks of sacrifice, the lamb picture for Jesus that comes up again and again in Revelation speaks of his cross. So you see, Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah doesn't triumph. He isn't worthy to open the scroll by sheer might, but through his humiliating death. Cracks me up sometimes that people say that the, the gospel, the, the, the Christian good news is something made up by people. Who'd make this up? Who'd, seriously, who would make this up? That the, the ruler of the universe and the one who's going to work out God's plan and triumph over his enemies will triumph through an humiliating death on a cross. But this is the gospel. This is the good news. To those suffering Christians in the seven churches. And to us in the 21st century church. Jesus is saying in this vision, Christian. Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Well, your saviour has suffered too, as no man has ever suffered before or since. And this makes literally all the difference in the world. I just want you to imagine for a moment, as you think about that, that plan of the eternal God, symbolised by the scroll in the hand of God on the throne, what would be in God's scroll? What would be in God's plan if Jesus was not the lamb if he was the lion only what would be in the plan what could be in the plan of the three times holy god if jesus had not become the lamb the answer is there would be wrath and judgment only because god is the holy god of chapter four 
and we are sinners and rebels against him. There would be judgment only. But but the plan of the threefold holy triune God is this, that the second person of the Trinity would come as a suffering sacrifice for sin. And so we read there in chapter five of Revelation that the lamb approaches God and takes the scroll out of the hand of God to begin opening its seals. Again, the parallels with, with Daniel 7 are amazing when you read Daniel 7. First part of Daniel 7, there's a worship scene of, of the great God, the holy God of heaven. And in the second part of the vision in Daniel 7, one like a son of man approaches God and receives glory and honor and authority. And that's exactly what happens here as the lamb approaches God and takes the scroll as the one worthy to open the scroll and carry out and execute its contents. And, that, and what happens as the lamb does that is that the worship of heaven explodes and it ripples outwards. The creatures around the throne, the four creatures worship God and the elders, the 24 elders worship God and they sing their song. And then the angels join in in the worship. By the way, this is the worship that we join in with this morning as Christians. We're not just here on Zoom singing recorded songs. We are joining with the worship of the angels of heaven. And if I'm doing the maths right, and all right, I know it's a symbolic number and you're going to tell me that afterwards. But if I'm doing my maths right, there's at least 100 million angels bursting out in worship of the lamb who approaches God and takes the scroll from the hand of God on the throne. And then the, the worship ripples outwards even further and all creation gets in in the act us included and worships the lamb and they say to the lamb you are worthy because you were slain did you catch that jesus is worthy not only because he is the eternal god the second person of the trinity but he is worthy because he died on the cross not despite his death on the cross no because of his death on the cross he is worthy to carry out this plan of god christian a couple of things to say as i close first of all you're seeing here in Revelation chapter 5, your eternal occupation. Your eternal occupation is and will be to sing this redemption song. The, the song that we see in Revelation chapter 4 is a song worshipping God for being the creator. But here in Revelation 5, God and the Lamb are worshipped for being our saviours, our redeemers. And this is our eternal occupation as Christians to sing with the host of heaven to worship Jesus for his cross. So let me ask you, do you see, as you listen to this this morning, do you see Jesus as wonderful and as worthy? If you do, this is your joyful future. If you have taken this lamb, Jesus, as your lamb, as your saviour, as your sacrifice, this is your future. If you have not taken him as saviour and as your lamb, you need to because you will face him as the lion only one day when he returns. If you have not taken him as your lamb, but praise God, he offers himself to us all as lamb, as sacrifice, as saviour. So Christian, you are seeing your saviour here and you are seeing your eternal occupation, what you have to look forward to forever with joy. But can I ask you also, are you anxious right now? Are you suffering right now? So many of us are anxious and so many people, even that I can see on the screen this morning, are suffering to some degree. What you need to hear, what we need to hear is there is a plan. You and I don't get all the details of the plan. 
even as we read Revelation chapter 6 through to chapter 22, we don't get all the details of the plan and exactly how it's going to affect us next week and next month and next year, but we can see that there is a plan. And although you and I don't get all the details, we know that the plan is held in the hands of a sovereign saviour who is crucified for us. The plan is held in and worked out by the hands that are marked by the scars of the cross at Calvary. Hands that were scarred for you. He holds the scroll in his hands. You might say, well, I, I don't see it all. I don't understand it all. Well, neither do I. But we can say, in the words of the song, a song that I found myself thinking about earlier this week, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Jesus lives. Jesus is in heaven at God's right hand. He holds the plan in his hands. And we may not get all the details, but those hands that were scarred for us hold the plan. That Jesus who loved us so much he went to the cross for us is working out that plan. And we can trust in him and we can rest in him and say, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Let's pray to him, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of those who trust in him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are working out God's plan for the future. And we see so much of that plan in Revelation, but we know we don't see all the details. And Lord, we have to say to you some days that we just don't understand the detail of how your plan is working out. Sometimes it just seems so hard. But we thank you that this chapter reminds us that the plan is being worked out, Father, by your son, our lamb, Jesus. And because he lives and because we trust him, we can face tomorrow until that day when he comes back, when we join in all its fullness, the worship of this host around the throne and enter into a, a perfectly joyful future of worship and communion with you, our Saviour God. Lord, we long for that day. And in the meantime, we trust you as you work out your plan. Amen.